already on acid and was shocked to be here. Don't be there. On acid, but he's still judging us. <laughs> yes, the uh, that's what I take from my expression. The, the, the stuffed white lion, it's tiger. tiger, tiger. That's right. <laughs> it's a tiger. I'm in. I'm in mid intro, so I'm getting my cat animals mixed up. <laughs> Speaking of intro. Welcome to the Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. Oh yeah. Trying to finagle with the title a bit, with the synth. Trying different things, a little bit here and there. Yeah, the sound of military helicopters and sirens in the night. All day. All day, every day, every night. What a... Uh, yeah. And full spook. Alright, this first story is called I Just Want to Sleep. I wonder who wrote that one. That's <laughs> <laughs> been a long time in the lab. It's been about 14 days since they've been testing me. I haven't been to the site every day. But after these long nights of not sleeping, when I saw that ad for a sleep study for people with insomnia, I climbed aboard that opportunity. I remember arriving and them saying, oh, so can't sleep, huh? And I was just like, well, yeah, that's why I'm here. Do you not see the bags under my eyes? Uh, my slouch demeanor, you know? And they were like, alright, we'll get to work on you. So, 14 days went by. I tried to crash at their lab, even when they weren't studying me. I would just try to go to the bathroom or something and just kind of slunk down into the corner of the room and just doze off. And they burst in and they said, oh fuck, we didn't document this at all. And I was just like, well, you know, I should have done a better job of trying to help me sleep. <laughs> now, this was a collection of, uh, you know, um, students at a graduate school with one professor kind of running the show a bit. So there's a lot of students uh, learning the ways about how to and not to sleep. And I'd like to say that I baffled the top, the world's top scientists on not being able to sleep, but it was only these, uh, you know, uh, like interns and whatnot. But still, it felt like an accomplishment. I just wish it was under better pretenses. When, uh, when the bags under my eyes were less noticeable, and I could think more clearly, and all that jazz. 
And eventually the head doctor, you know, he sits me down one day on the, uh, on the 15th day. And he's just like, yeah, you got a really bad case of insomnia. And I was like, yeah, well, I do. Well, it's just like, you know, I mean, what even is sleep, you know? And he's just like, I have no idea. I've been researching it all my life, and I don't have a clue. No one does. Who knows? Maybe the answer lies within you. And I was just like, I just want to have a good night's rest. And he said, well, there is something we can try to do. It's a, uh, it's an experimental medication. It's not a sedative like we've been giving you, you know. We're not entirely sure what it does. That's why we're going to pay you to test it out for us. And I was like, well, whatever help me sleep, if this is the big, the big thing that can do that. And he said, we'll see, we'll see. So I agreed to spend the, re the next week at the lab, you know. I was in school at the time, so I brought my homework, you know. For, with my social life, I just talked to people on the phone and whatnot, you know. Use instant messenger and all that. And I uh, took this medication to see if it helped me sleep. To solve the puzzle of my own mind, to help me just chill out for half a second, long enough to just shut my eyes and doze off into dreamland. And on the so out of these seven days, it was on the second day when the doctor was. We had a peculiar conversation. He was discussing the nature of sharks, how, you know, sharks never sleep. And I was like, go on? And he said, yeah. You see, sharks, what they do is they leave portions of their brain dormant, say like a fourth, and that's that part of their brain is asleep for that portion of the day. And then when that portion wakes up, another por portion of their brain goes to sleep. So, you know, they just, they keep going, so you might have that phenomenon in you or something. And I was like, alright, Doc, well, you know, what, what is this medication anyway? And he said, well, I didn't design it myself. Uh, some of my colleagues did in uh, Florida, at the Sea World over there in Miami. <laughs> They got together with some marine biologists and tried to create a pill to mimic the effects of a, of a shark's sleeping brain. And I was like, okay, well, if you're saying that sharks never fall asleep, then what would this do to me? Would it actually help me sleep or just let me be functional without sleeping? And the doctor just shrugged, and he said, well, that's what we're about to find out. And I'm just like, oh, well, that's, that's, that's cool, I guess. I mean, I didn't, I guess I technically did sign up for this, so I, I shouldn't complain about that. But, like, even still, I should have read more manuals or something. So, you know, by the fourth day, you know, I start to feel itchy all over. Often I have nightmares, uh, 
Or when I go without sleep, often, I tend to hallucinate being very itchy and having bugs all over me. And I was worried that it was something like this. But I just kept scratching at the edge of my neck. And it felt like some of my skin was flaking off the harder I scratched. It felt like I was suffocating in air and scratching it really helped for some reason. So I was wondering if it was a rash from the side effect of the pill. But then when I look in the mirror, it's... You could argue that it looks like gills, and I'm just like, what the hell? Is this Waterworld? Like, I don't... There's no way this could be gills. So, you know... In a lack of sleep paranoia, what I try to do is splash some water on my neck. And it feels great, it feels like I can breathe much easier. And I'm just like, oh shit, I got gills on my neck. Fuck, I didn't, uh, I just wanted a good night's sleep, you know, I shouldn't have to do some wacky marine biologist experiment to just, you know, chill out for a couple hours. Oh lord. Would've been better off with horse tranquilizers or something. Then they give me like horse DNA or whatever, but so uh, in my quarters in the lab, I tell one of the students studying me. I was like, hey, you know, I'm gonna opt out of this, uh, opt out of this uh, procedure, this uh, this medication experimentation. You know, you don't have to pay me for the full week since I'm copping out, but like I've seen the Sanford Prison Experiment documentary. Feels like something like that. It's, you know, it seems like too big for me to get roped into. You know, I just kind of want to bow out at this point. And then the student said, oh, well, we have a... We have your new quarters set up if you want to check them out. And I was just like, well, I don't know about that. And she was just like, come see, come on. And I just say, okay, fine, fine. So I follow her down the hall. I know other uh, student uh, scientists that I was really chatty with during the uh, initial study were averting eye contact with me, and I was just like, what's going on here? So we go into the room, and it's just a giant tank filled with water. There's a little target you could press if you wanted food, kind of trying to emulate the Pavlov thing, you know? I found gills on me. I don't wanna. I don't wanna wait for them to develop or anything. And then, without my notice, she just shoved me into the tank, and I fell in. And the level of the water was so deep beneath the surface of the entry of the tank, I couldn't leap up or swim up or anything. I was trapped in there, and the only way to stay afloat was just to swim. It was a literal sink or swim scenario. But then when I run out of energy, you know, trying to donkey paddle for as long as I can, I start to sink, and I was just like, this, this is it, I might drown. But then I lower myself to the bottom. I feel like I can breathe with ease. And I just think, oh, it's actually very comfortable. This lightly salted water. It's, I'm su surprised how I can 
relax in here. So I'll go up to the surface of the water, and then the one of the scientists standing there says, Yeah, we uh, added the same amount of salt that's uh, correlated with the human body, and we've also started to just add your prescription to the medication into the water, so you'll be absorbing it through your skin and all that. And I was like, well, this kind of sucks. I don't want to be in a tank to be studied. But I gotta live in water now, because I'm becoming a shark person. This sucks! So, on the seventh day, you know, everyone participating in the study, you know, is like gathered around, the head scientist and all. And I'm starting to grow like a little fin in my back, you know. And I was just like, oh man, I'm being like a shark person. And I was just like, well, it's not, I'm not like 100% shark, I'm still human enough to think this is bullshit, so I guess that's cool. <laughs> head doctor was just like, ah, yes. We have finally found a way to conquer sleep. Sleep is the enemy. If we all become shark people, we can never sleep. And I was just like, well, that's counterintuitive. Like, I need, a, I need some rest, you know? So I was just thinking, you know, I gotta, I gotta get out of here, you know? I was trying to think of my plan. Whenever I wanted food, I would just hit the little target and a lever inside the tank. And then they dropped, like, some food in, you know. At first it was, like, fish chum and stuff. And I was like, hey, I'm not, like, a shark shark. Like, can you just feed me, like, a human? And they're just like, okay, sure. So eventually when I hit the target, they'd lower down, like, some, like, burritos and stuff. And I'd eat that. And I'd like try to like grip the side and then like eat it above water because I'm not a shark. I don't eat like raw fish and stuff. So I'm just like, all right. Well, I eat raw fish with like sushi. I think that's they would ser serve me sushi sometimes as like a compromise. But even still, I wasn't too into it. I just wanted to just <coughs> get like a Nathan's hot dog or something. I'd eat anything at this point at some random supermarket. Then on the ninth day of this steady shark transformation, I'm trying to like, I just shout out to them like, hey, can I get a phone call? And they're just like, oh, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, I'm still, you know, I'm still a person, you know, I'm not like in captivity, right? And one of the, some of the students were just like, oh, we're not imprisoning him, are we? And they're just like, fuck, I don't know. We better give him like a phone call and stuff to contact the outside world. But yeah, the head doctor said that we can reveal any of this to anyone. He's like, yeah, but I think we should just give him, you know, a simple phone call, you know? So eventually they toss me a cell phone and I make a call. And then a few days later, uh, the lawyer that I called walked in. He was just like, oh, dude, what are you, what are you guys doing? And he's just like, well, this is part of an experiment, you know. We're trying to do like a, you know, like a shark person hybrid, you know, pretty cool stuff. And he was just like, you gotta get this guy out of here. I mean, you gotta. This is ridiculous. We're gonna, you know, I'll contact like the ACLU, whoever, you know. I know the federal government won't care, but like, well, fucking yeah, it'll be a hellstorm of a lawsuit. 
the head doctor was like, fuck, well, if they do that, they'll take funding away from the school, and I can't do any more wacky marine biologist experiments. Alright, I guess the... We did the trial, uh, so he... Once they were letting me out, the head doctor said, well, we can do another trial if you want, you know. We'll fill you in more on what we're gonna do, you know, so you don't feel like you're, like, captive or anything. And I'm just like, yeah, whatever, I'll think about it if I need a good night's sleep. So I thanked my lawyer, and, you know, we were just, like, heading out of the building. And he was just like, yeah, that's really fucked up what they did to you. And I was just like, yeah, you know, but just need a good night's sleep. So we depart, and then I head back to my house. Just thinking about, like, all the, you know, my gills are itchy, but I can still breathe above water. I guess I have the ability to breathe underwater, apparently, like the guy from Waterworld. So that's, I don't know, it's not an achievement, but it's something, you know. If I want to go for a long swim, I can do that. A moderate amount of salt water, I guess. So eventually, when I'm at my house, I get to my bed. And then for the first time in a long time, I have a good night's sleep. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, yeah. But just swimming in a tank of water, being fed burritos, you know. It's nice to sleep in a bed, even if you do have uh, the shark capacity to sleep and whatnot. Even if you have a Taftic carve a slot in the mattress for your fan. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe he'd, he'll make it work. I don't know. Anyway. Boy, howdy, that was spooky. Let's see what the next story holds. This next story is called Everyone is Free Now. Barker woke up in the same way he always did, in a breath of sweat. He went and had, had his breakfast, you know, his delicious uh, egg and kielbasa sausage sandwich. Ever since the pandemic hit, you know, he's been struggling with the job situation. One advantage he thought he had over other people was that he didn't pretend everything wasn't shitty. He thought he acclimated to it appropriately. So as, as he was having his breakfast and his coffee on his porch, his neighbor comes up to him and he says to Barker, Hey, have you heard the news? And he's like, No, what? 
he was just like the, you know, the federal government shut down. He was just like, well, it's not the first time. And his neighbor said, no, no, like the White House burned down. Everyone in the Trump administration is dead. All the other sectors of government are also uh, been incapacitate, incapacitated. It's the literal revolution, you know. Institutions are burning down. Police departments have shut down. Like, it, it happened. Everything is just... We're on our own now. And then Barker was just like, well... Shit, really? And, like, the neighbor was just like, yeah, look at the news. And then Barker looked at the news, and it was right. There he saw it. The, uh, White House, uh, in a cinder, you know? Just a big, dusty hole in the ground. He saw the footage of the Pentagon. Gone. Various police precincts, you know, emptied out or shut down. And the neighbor was just like, yeah, it's just like, uh, the end of that, uh, that third Star Wars movie. Just like, the Death Star explodes and then everyone's... The Empire's over. The American Empire has fallen. And Barker was just like, whoa, fuck. I didn't think I'd live to see that. And the neighbor said, well, yeah, neither did I, but we're living it. So then Barker was just like, well, shit. He just drinks coffee and thinks about it. He doesn't know what to do in this situation. He tries to check things on social media, but a lot of social media sites have shut down, you know, Twitter, Facebook, all the shitty ones, which is most of them. But he does have some phone numbers of friends and family. So, like, it was, like he was orchestrating a party in the 80s. He just makes a bunch of calls, and he's just like, hey, I'm having a party. And they're just like, oh, because of the whole thing that happened? He's like, yeah, everything's shut down. The empire is destroyed. Let's just hang out. And they're just like, oh, cool, yeah. And Barker makes most, more calls. He makes 50 throughout the afternoon. And he's just like, fuck, is this how they did it in the 80s and 90s? Just calling people one by one to have a party? No Facebook invites or anything? And they thought, well, I guess that's better than being, uh... Being supervised over it, you know, mass surveillance and whatnot. But apparently mass surveillance is also temporarily shut down since the government is out and all those surveillance uh, businesses also shut down as well. So Barker was just like, yeah, shit. So everyone comes to Barker's house. Most people show up and, you know, they have a party. They just chill out, have some drinks. You know, hang out in the backyard, hang out in the townhouse that he lives in, you know, on the fire escape with like a bunch of cool kids. And they're just like, well, I don't know when this other shoe's gonna drop, but like, you know, if there's no empire, I think that we can relax a bit. And Barker's just like, yeah. Then someone turns to Barker and thinks, well, you know, who's going to pick up the trash now? And Barker was just like, oh, fuck. Well, I guess I'll do it. And the friend they asked him that was just like, really? And Barker was just like, yeah, I used to be a garbage man. You know, I can probably access a truck somehow. I can pick up trash around the neighborhood, you know, help everyone out, you know, do my part. So the next day, that's what he did, you know. 
we just went around and picked up trash. And he was like, hey, I'm picking up trash for the neighborhood, you know, free of charge, just trying to do my part. And they're just like, oh, cool. Do you have, like, a GoFundMe that we can fund so you can live off of this? And he's just like, well, social media is not a thing, but just if you just, you know, deliver it to me, I guess that'd be, that'd be cool. And they'd be like, yeah, all right. So that's, that's what Barker did. He just started just, like, pick up people's trash, and then people he picked up trash for just, like, steadily just, like, helped him out and whatnot, like, financially and otherwise. And he's just like, yeah, this is all right, you know. So we sat and had some tea and thought about the demise of the American Empire. And it's just like, shit, yeah, it's... I don't know what's gonna happen now, but... I guess we're all relatively free, so... Shit, I think that's cool. I mean, there's still a lot of interpersonal relationships and intersections that'll unfold. Even when there is an American Empire. Because what country do you not find that, you know? Finding disputes over class, gender, and race. It's literally everywhere on the planet. But for now, the American Empire has fallen. So that's a breath of fresh air. So Barker's just, uh, chilling out one day on the a during an afternoon after dropping off, uh, picking up trash and whatnot and taking it to a nearby landfill, you know. That was already a landfill. He didn't pollute any land that didn't need to be polluted, you know. He was just like, well, I gotta figure out where to put that trash so it's not fucking up, you know, the land or anything. But, you know, we'll get to that, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. So, as he's winding down for the afternoon, he's just thinking, you know, thinking about the fall of the American Empire. Then there's a knock on his door. And then he opens it, and it's just like, it's someone who came off like, you know, like a solicitor or like a, a solicitor for like a wireless cable company or like a Mormon or something, you know, even, or a canvasser, even if it's a humble greeting, even the person just said, oh, hello, but Barker could tell from that hello, like, oh, this person wants something, a donation or something or whatever. I mean, this is a, a readjusted society, so it's, you know, I'll, I'll, hear, I'll hear this person out. And then the stranger is just, like, looking friendly, you know. He just looks into the house real quick behind Barker and is just like, oh, I love your home. And Barker's just like, oh, yeah, thank you. Do you want, like, coffee or tea or something? And Barker's, and the stranger's are like, yeah, sure. So Barker makes some coffee with a espresso machine he found at the dump, you know repurposing old materials so they still have some use instead of uh, dealing with like uh, you know menial labor or something it's just like yeah let's just build the things that we have instead of exploiting other people you know so Barker and the stranger they're having you know coffee and tea so Barker laughs and jokes starts it and says alright so what are you trying to sell this time and the stranger laughs and he's just like well I'm I guess I am trying, I am soliciting, you know, but, you know, it's nice to have a human moment and all that. And, uh, you know, Barker says, yeah, that's true, but, you know, I'm willing to hear your pitch. See, Barker has had jobs at, at canvassing. He knew what the game was, so to speak, and he was friendly about it. And he's just like, all right, what's your agenda this time? But did it in a friendly way. So the stranger says, well, 
Have you heard the notion of New America? In the back of Barker's head, he was just like, oh, fuck. But on the surface, he was just like, no, I haven't heard of New America. So the stranger nods and says, oh, we have some pamphlets here, but uh, otherwise, you know, me and, you know, me and some others, we're trying to, you know, we're not trying to rebuild the American Empire in the way it was, and the way it depleted resources, and the way it built inner city conflict, and the way it discriminated against class, gender, and race. We're trying to build a new vision of America, you know, one that's better. One that, you know, that the previous empire couldn't really do up to snuff. We're really trying to strengthen a sense of community here. And Barker just shakes his head, not knowing it. He reads the pamphlet, and it reads, in the same ilk of patriotism of the previous America, you know, just like, oh yeah, we'll totally nail it. We're great for everyone. And he just shook his head and it's just like, no, it's just gonna... It's gonna reimpose the same systems that really stifled vast swaths of society in the previous America. So Barker goes over the pamphlet, seeing this jargon, all too familiar, akin to the Soviet Union after the Russian Revolution. Just some new people coming in and just like, oh, hey, we can be in charge. And then leading to that disaster. It was something that Barker knew deep inside when the re revolution happened. It's fine and dandy when the old disruptive systems has fallen. But do the people, are they able to use the ashes to rebuild something new and something better? Was it something they were ready for? But Barker, you know, thought about this. So no, this is just the same old systems under a different name. Not even a different name, like New America, you know. Trying to take the same, meth same methods of patriotism. But only for the same purposes in the end. Barker could smell it. He hoped other people did. And Barker nodded, you know, he did contemplate it. And it was just like, well, you know, I think I'm gonna pass on this. I mean, me and my neighborhood personally, you know, we're doing fine, you know, we've all gathered up some resources, you know, we all know how to find food. Some of us is growing food, you know, I'm just doing. Uh, you know, I'm picking up trash and whatnot, we're all doing our part, and we're all coinciding with other neighborhoods to kind of, you know, to help each other out, you know. So I think I'm going to pass on trying to help out with New America. And the stranger nodded. He seemed pretty upset, but he disguised it well. He said, okay, well, if you don't like New America, that's fine, that's fine. But I hope you tell other people about it, maybe they'll be interested, you know? And Barker said, well, I'll definitely talk about it. 
So the stranger left, and Barker was just finishing his coffee. He was very concerned, thinking, oh fuck. You know. It's only been a couple weeks since the uh, literal revolution. And already people are trying to employ old systems to exploit it. So Barker went to sleep that night, and he was thinking about New America, the notion of it, and went into the kitchen and had some water, sat by the window, and then out his window, He's looking out his window and then he saw a neighbor's house with an American flag painted on it. And he was just like, oh shit, what is this? Next morning, he goes over to the house, and it's a neighbor that he knew fairly well. And he's just like, "Oh, you got a got an American flag, you know, painted on your house." And he was just like, "Yeah, yeah, but check out the stars, though." And he looked at it, and it was a different orchestration of stars. It wasn't the Colony 13. It wasn't the typical 50 from the pre previous America. But it was just one star, similar to the Texas flag but it had the stripes of the 13 colonies. And the neighbor was just like, yeah, yeah, someone came over, was talking about New America, and I was thinking, like, yeah, we need to get this country back on track. And then Barker kind of just thought, oh, fuck. And over time, over the coming months, you know, he thought it was... He thought he was doing right by his neighborhood, you know, picking up trash and whatnot. But eventually people paint American flags... ...on their houses and whatnot. He watches the notion of New America grow. And there are some aesthetic differences... ...in the previous America. But it was the same values, the same type of exploitation the same type of erasure that takes place. Right when various subcultures were beginning to flourish. And eventually, uh, social media reactivates. And then he sees on the news that a new America has been instilled 
They didn't do it in Washington, but they did it in Maryland for some reason. Started a new capital. And we're already having court systems for people who brought down the previous America. Or people who talked back against this new America. So Barker watched this news and watched this uh, new these new institutions of power take place. So he just at the time he was watching he was having coffee. So he just had his coffee and shook his head and just thought, uh, same shit, different day. That was really sad. Thanks for being a Debbie Donner. I didn't try to. I didn't mean to. I came here for entertainment. Yeah. I my mind off of things. And you just throw me right back in. I didn't, I, yeah. You me like a dirty wash towel all over the place. Just... <laughs> I didn't mean to. And I, look, it's just, you know, just the nature right. of spooks, you yeah. know. Like, when I saw the title, I was just like, oh, man, you know. <laughs> I know. It was, um, it was, it was I mean, it was a fairly comprehensive look of how revolution would take place in this country. That's the that's that's where the spook kicks in. Oh man. I hope the next spook is about salad or something. You know, a fun salad story, a spooky salad or something. Not on games for that. I'll see. You. Yeah. Um, I put a bunch in there. Good. Oh man. Ah. <laughs> uh. I can always tell the ones that you put in. It's, <laughs> it's definitely just like, just like you're feeling like in the moment, and it's just like, <laughs> yeah. The darkness. But like that's, <laughs> but that darkness translate into the spooks, you know, which is right. what I appreciate. But also, like, oh man. It's it's not just the shitty handwriting that tips you off. It's the. <laughs> it's the themes for sure. You're like, oh, this is sad. So yeah. <laughs> Not all of them have been sad. No, no. It started off as fruit. Mm-hmm. Early in Spookshow's infancy. Yeah, I mean, there's... I think, like, every episode has a food-based story. At least one. Because you're hungry all the time. I'm not putting in the Whatever, spooks. Whatever, you're a snacker. I, I am. Audience, I didn't put it. I didn't put in the cheese its title or the strawberries title or anything like that. It's just I just try to play. I just try to yes and play it off. You know. <laughs> I guess with that story, I was definitely thinking like, oh, everyone is free now. I was just like, well, what would? Uh, it was just the like bait and switch. Putting it the was. It was the realist in me. Just like, well, what would yeah, actually happen if that right. happened? It starts off pretty chill for like a month, and then someone's gonna want to take it, just take it over, you know. <laughs> so more of the story. That story was a bummer. I mean, it shows. I don't know how I perceive countries and systems or whatever. I don't know. I need, I need a palate cleanser after that one. I don't know why I had to have like the same government structures that we're trying to get away from. Like, why can't I 
I mean, that's how I was. Well, I was thinking of uh, the relationship between the the Romanov dynasty and the Soviet Union. They did a lot of the same shit. Yeah. I mean, I I try. Yeah. I, I, yeah, it would have been nice to put in more comprehensive intersections into that story, you know. I think you got license to do that. I know. I was, I was just, I was, I was just following the story, and it was just like about this dude named Barker who was just like, yeah, I'll pick up some. There's this, um, I guess, I'm through mid spook, but like there was uh, me and uh, my old housemate Christy, we would discuss, uh, <laughs> we would discuss like what if there was like a revolution or some sort. And her philosophy, which I think is pretty sound in a lot of ways, was just like, well, if there's a revolution, who's going to pick up the trash? So in my story, I was just like, well... Are you serious? That's yeah. the dumbest thing ever. But like in my story, I was, he was just like, oh, I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. done. Take care of. Boom. I don't know. Like, look at uh, like Minneapolis. People burn their own city down, and then they pick up the trash afterwards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. People who can pick up after themselves, or yell at people who aren't picking up after themselves. Yeah, it's just everyone's got to do their part. That's why I tried to. You can fucking. That's why I tried to communicate in the story. They can tell somebody to put something in the recycling bin. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God help you if people in your city can't handle those kind of orders. What's a recycling bin? Yeah. What's that sign say? <laughs> well, I think I don't know. There's plenty of political intersections that can take place in future spooks if you want to put them in the titles. They might make them in there. I didn't mean to get you mid-spook. Mid You're always so good about doing lots of things mid-spook. Lots of things mid-spook. Yeah. As in... Talking. Yeah. You can multitask. This is the chat with... Mid-spook. Yeah, this is the chat with the audience That's right. section. But anyway, I'm going to read this next book. <laughs> what the fuck? Who? I don't know who wrote this. I don't know either. Oh what my. is it? Oh, come on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it. It's going to happen. I'm just... Okay, it's... It's... No. No, it's... <laughs> this next story is called... Why I Don't cosplay Chewbacca. Fucking <laughs> you. <laughs> I guess we'll find what out. San Diego Comic-Con, the ultimate mecca for nerds, true nerds that is, only people who really threw, them star threw themselves at whatever they were into, Star Wars, Star Trek, Batman, Game of Thrones, the whole gamut, Breaking Bad even. I was thinking, when I went to San Diego Comic-Con this year, I was like, oh, a lot of people were doing, 
probably doing Star Wars cosplay because it's Star Wars. It's really big. Debatably the biggest fandom that's existed on Earth, with, with the exception of maybe Christianity, but that's a different discussion. But I had my weekend set up. I was going to be there on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And Sunday. First day, Thursday, I dressed up as the Mandalorian. No, not Boba Fett. The Mandalorian. You know, from the Mandalorian Star Wars series. <laughs> that Mandalorian. People think Bo Boba Fett's hot shit. But he's not actually a Mandalorian. He just uses Mandalorian armor. I was the Mandalorian. And I decked out on my costume professional grade people would see me and be like oh shit it's Mandalorian and I'd be like damn straight some people just wore a Boba Fett helmet or whatever some celebrities dressed up as stormtroopers but I committed to the Mandalorian look and yeah I hung out at Hall H a lot went to as many panels as I could I saw the Breaking Bad reunion panel. I saw the Rick and Morty panel. I saw the Conan panel, where he had the Breaking Bad cast on. Went to the Game of Thrones panel. I went to all the big fandom panels. So I think if it's not popular, it's obsolete. I think popular fandoms capture the true sense of storytelling because it can, appeal, it can appeal to a broad spectrum of people. And that's what I consider impeccable storytelling. Who needed nuance, you know? Just do the Joseph Campbell power of myth basic tropes and you nailed it, you know? So that first day I was the Mandalorian, really sleek. I dared not reveal my helmet, just like the character in the show. And yeah, I got some comics, you know. I caught up on my uh, collection of the Nightfall arc from Batman, you know. Got some Greg Capullo titles from Batman as well. Yeah, I was pretty much to shit, you know. So then the second day rolled around on Friday. And I dressed up as Jar Jar Binks. Now a lot of people didn't like Jar Jar Binks. But I didn't care because I wanted to be controversial. Just walked around, just like goofing around. I thought he was hilarious. I thought he was the most hilarious Star Wars character. And I got really into it as I perused other comics and whatnot, you know. And 
spent all my money on the original Affinity War arc from Marvel. I met up with my friend, you know. His name was James. And he always low-played his... He always, you know, downplayed his cosplay. He was into it. But he didn't take nearly the effort that I did. You know. He kind of just dressed up as Maskey from the... The character from the Marble Hornets web series. And I was just like, oh, you're gonna dress up as someone from a web series? Really? From one that old as Marble Hornets? And he was just like, well, Mandalorian's technically a web series, you know? And I was just like, shut up! Mandalorian's Star Wars. And Jar Jar Binks is from a feature film. And then my friend Dreams just tried to shrug me off, knowing that I was right, obviously. And he was just like, so, uh, you're really, uh, committed to the Star Wars theme at Comic-Con, aren't you? And I was just like, yeah, you bet I am. And he was just like, oh, what are you gonna do tomorrow? And then I was like, well, tomorrow I'm gonna be Chewbacca. And he just said simply, oh no, don't do that. And I was just like, well, why not? And he was just like, well, I would never cosplay as Chewbacca. And, he was just, and I was just like, oh yeah, well, why not? And he was just like, well, you know, it's, I hear it's like a cursed cosplay, you know? Anyone who dresses up as Chewbacca, you know, encounters the most severe misfortune. And I just laugh him off. Since he was such a horror enthusiast, I think he was just trying to spook me. And I was just like, yeah, right, you know, whatever. And he was just like, alright, dress as Chewbacca tomorrow on the busiest day of Comic-Con and see what happens. And that's exactly what I did. When Saturday came around, I had the most decked out Chewbacca costume around. Granted, I wasn't the tallest. So I can never surpass the original actor that played him. But I got the fur right, I got the weapons, I had like a crossbow. That looked fake enough to not pique the interest of San Diego Comic-Con security. But yeah, I walked around as Chewbacca feeling like a badass, you know. I could even do the sound. I manipulate the jaw and the costume so it made so it moved with me making the sound. And I felt pretty cool. Pretty fly. But then when mid-afternoon rolls around, I'm feeling pretty hot, pretty thirsty. Thought I'd get some cheese fries or something. Something from concessions or whatever. But when I try to take off my mask, it won't detach. I try to pry it off, but nothing does the trick. I 
ran into my friend James again, and I said, James, you gotta help me take off this mask. And he was just like, fuck, I told you." And I was just like, just shut up and help me. So he tries to take my mask off, but it doesn't work. And he says, yeah, and I told you, it's the Chewbacca curse. If you dress up as Chewbacca, you become Chewbacca. And I just said, well, I don't want to actually be Chewbacca. And he said, well, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. It's a long-standing Comic-Con legend, legend, you know? As such a die-hard fan of Star Wars that you are, you should have known that. And I just said, well, I read about it on forums and stuff, but I didn't believe it, you know? It's just a dumb legend to deter people from dressing up as Chewbacca at Comic-Cons. Because everyone did it. James just like shook, it, shook, shook his head and just said, no, well, I guess you should have listened, I guess. Well, you know, it was nice knowing you, Chewie. And then he just walks off. And I'm just like, no, but James. So I walk around the floor and I try to find different ways to take off my Chewie mask. And everyone shouts at me, oh hey, Chewie, and I'm just like, no, shut up, that's not, that's not me, I'm not Chewie. But then I can feel the costume steadily morph with my skin. And the hair of Chewie steadily feels like my own. And the jaw that's movable on the mask feels synchronized with my own. And as the day progresses, I can't even speak and only I can only make chewy noises. So when I try to ask people for help and whatnot, I can just do really impeccable chewy impressions and they don't take me seriously and it's like, oh that's pretty good man. I'm just like, no, you don't understand. I'm trapped in this chewy costume. run around and I start to panic. I go into a hallway with some bathrooms and a water fountain and whatnot. And some really tacky carpeting. And I try to like sit and think. I'm just like, alright, I'm not... I'm not chewy. I'm not chewy. And then in the hall I see someone else dressed as a Wookiee, also chewy. Then he makes an impeccable, chewy impression of me. But I can understand it. And I can hear him say, Ah, you dressed as Chewy too? And I'm just like, what? Uh, yeah, but... And he's just like, alright. We have a place for you. Come with us. So I follow him, and then some other Wookiees join in. And we're walking as Wookiees as a group leave the convention center. He calls an Uber on his phone for a van, and we all get into the Uber, and he shows the driver a note, and he's just like, alright, cool, cool. So we drive for a long time throughout San Diego. We go to the spot downtown, to some random squalid apartment. go past the front desk and, you know, and 
the guy's like, oh, hey, Chewie, and then the Chewie that beckoned me just, like, waves and make a Chewie impression, and so do the other ones. And I do, too, reluctantly, but still trying to be cordial. So I go to the top floor, and the whole floor is dedicated to a network of apartments, squalid apartments, that smelled bad and had cockroaches. Of all these people dressed as Chewy, just a bunch of Chewies, a bunch of Wookies, all doing impeccable Chewy impressions to each other. So the first, first Wookie said to me, yeah, this is your life now. We're all a bunch of Chewies. We travel to Comic-Con to Comic-Con so we can entertain people and eat food as well. Because we can't, we can't go to typical restaurants just as Wookies. They wouldn't understand us. Our impeccable Wookie impressions. And this is our home base because San Diego is the mecca of Star Wars and Chewie enthusiasts. So I just think of my new life as a traveling caravan of Wookiees going to Comic-Con to Comic-Con for food throughout the year, and then settling in San Diego. So I look out the window, look at the people in the street, and I do the loudest Wookiee shout I've ever done in my life. And I just think, well, this is my life now. I never should have cosplayed as Chewbacca. Yeah. <laughs> Are you literally laying in the rug in the entryway? Yeah. Okay. As long as you can hear the show. But cool, cool. That's fair. Yeah. But that does sound like that one. That was a good one. This next story is called Heavy and Thick.
most pristine modeling agency in Kansas City. And their specialty was models who were heavy and thick. They got a lot of press in Paris, New York City. With all the sketchiness that can happen in modeling agencies, this was not on par. They treated their models right. They're very inclusive in a way that mattered. But their main staple was plus side models so that they could advertise as their models as heavy and thick. Thick spelled with two C's and and with an ampersand. weekend they were doing a shoot in New Orleans and for half the models there it was the first time in New Orleans so you know they uh, did a lot of things if you were new to New Orleans you do you know you would drink bar hop visit the sites walk down Bourbon Street and feel smelly afterwards because the street is coated with vomit, even in the air particles, apparently. It's thicker than COVID, supposedly. They all had a good time. Their expenses were paid for. sitting at a bar, you know, some of the models went home, you know, it was their last night, and some models went home just thinking that they went too hard, and then we just wanted to sleep it off before the flight, some of the photographers that came with them also was tired, and they turned in as well. So eventually it was just two models, you know, that was up during the night in this bar after this large caravan of the entire agency, basically, hanging out in New Orleans. It was just Jonathan and Ben chatting, talking about their modeling careers, their ambitions, talking about the agency and talking about New Orleans. So, you know, Jonathan and Ben are talking, 
And then Jonathan says, You know, Ben, you know who I heard is in, in town? And he says, Who? And then he replies, Nick Cage. Nick Cage is in town? Yeah, apparently he's really into New Orleans. And I saw on an Instagram post that he's actually on the bar down the street in Bourbon Street. You want to check it out? Yeah, sure, sure. So Jonathan and Ben, they go to this bar, and lo and behold, it's Nick Cage. They don't quite know what to say. They're very fond of Mandy, so maybe they could talk about that, you know. And they both respected him as an actor and his uh, unique method of performance. So then Jonathan says... Ben, you go talk to him. And Ben just says, I don't want to talk to him. You go talk to him. And I'm just like, alright. Rock, paper, scissors. Who talks to him? And then they do. And Jonathan loses the bet. So Jonathan just says, alright, I'll go talk to him. So he walks up to Nick Cage, and Nick Cage looks up, knowing this interaction pretty well, you know. And, uh, Jonathan says, oh, hey, Nick Cage, you know, big fan, I love you and Mandy. Nick Cage nods, he's pretty cordial about it, and he's like, alright, thank you, thank you. And this exchange gives Ben the courage to come up to, so say, like, yeah, Mandy was great, you know. You know, Con Air was good too, National Treasure. You know, raising Arizona, you know, we think you're the shit. And Nick says, Nick Cage says, okay, cool, cool. And they say, oh, so what are you doing in town? And Nick Cage says, oh, just, I'm just uh, hanging out with family and all, you know. And then Ben says, oh, cool, cool, you know, worth a worth the heavy and thick modeling agency from Kansas City. And Nick Cage says, oh, cool, nice. Cool, nice. I heard about them, you know. Pretty pristine. And then Jonathan says, yeah, yeah, it's real cool. It's real cool. And then, you know, Nick Cage stands up kind of brushes off his shirt a little bit and he says hey guys if I asked you to hold on to something could you do it and then Ben and Jonathan said yeah sure sure not knowing what he was getting at and then Nick Cage says great great thank you so Nick Cage give them, gives them a box and then leaves the bar really quickly before they could say goodbye or anything. So Ben and Jonathan, they go into the bathroom and they open the box. 
and it's just full of human rib bones. And they close it real quick, and they're just like, oh, dude, why didn't a cage give us a box full of bones? Jonathan says, oh, I have no idea. And Ben says, well, we can't hang on to this, you know? Whose bones are these? So eventually they leave the bar. They take them back to the hotel room. And Jonathan says, well, we can... I don't know, maybe we can take them back to Kansas City. So when we told Nick Cage, our modeling agency name, Heavy and Thick... So if he calls upon us having these bones, we can give them back to them, you know? So eventually the whole modeling agency goes back to Kansas City to go about their business. And Benjamin and uh, Jonathan talk about the bones and the other models and agents and photographers are just like, why the fuck did you take Nick Cage's bones, and they're just like, well, it's not Nick Cage's bones, but he gave us some bones to hold on to, we don't know why, so they tried to keep the bones safe at the agency, neither of them felt comfortable enough to keep them in their own abodes. go by months and still the bones remain at the modeling agency so eventually the person who ran the agency just said alright John, Ben you're gonna have to do something with these bones I mean, it's an interesting story that you got them from Nick Cage for some reason. But I really don't want them, want them at the agency. You guys gotta move them somewhere or contact Nick Cage or his agent or whatever. And then Jonathan's the one that says, okay, fine, we'll do something about it. So after many tries... He tries to contact Nick Cage's agent and finally gets a hold of him. Nick Cage's agent says, yeah, what's up? And then Jonathan says, yeah, we have uh, his bones. And then uh, the agent hangs up. Jonathan gets another phone call. It's Nick Cage. And he says, okay, so you still have those bones. And Jonathan says, yeah, yeah, we still have them. Our agency is trying to, wants us to get rid of them, and I don't want to have them around anymore, so can you just take them back? Nick Cage says, yeah, 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 sure, sure. About another month later, Nick Cage flies to Kansas City. Enters the heavy and thick modeling agency. He's just like, alright, so where are those bones? And then Jonathan gives him the box. And then 
cages. It's all right now. No one took any of the bones from the box, did they? And then Ben said, no, not to my knowledge. And the cage opens the box. He counts them. And he says, but there's one missing, though. And Jonathan says, yeah, I have no idea what, uh, what happened to I have no idea. And then Ben says, yeah, yeah, me neither. And the cage shrugs and says, alright, see yourself. So the next day, Jonathan arrives at the modeling agency. Scheduling a shoot for that day. And he's just like, oh, when, where's Benjamin? And then uh, another model he knew just said, oh, Benjamin, Benjamin died. He passed on. And Jonathan said, what? What happened? Yeah, it was the most bizarre thing. Apparently his body corroded overnight. And he was holding a, a bone in his hands, you know, a rib bone of some sort. Jonathan said, oh my god. So he goes to Benjamin's house, and they're already taking his body away. And he sees Benjamin's body for himself. And there he was, clutching the rib bone. And he's just like, oh my god, he took one of the bones that Nick Cage trusted us, trusted us with. And I got the better of him. Whatever curse that befell those bones. Benjamin got the bitter end of it. So Jonathan, you know, after seeing Ben's body, realizing that uh, he took one of Nick Cage's bones, he went to a shoot and, you know, modeled, thinking of Ben. And then on a whim, he calls Nick Cage's agent to get in touch with Nick Cage. And he says, Nick, you know, uh, my friend Ben took that bone from the box. And he died because of it. He he died because of it. He became a corpse overnight. And Nick Cage said, "Well, that'll happen." Jonathan wasn't satisfied with that answer. He said, "Well, is there is there a way to bring Ben back?" And Nick Cage says, "Well." There's only one way I can think of. Since you kept the box in safekeeping with Ben, if you dedicated your bones, then it's possible they can summon him back. And Jonathan just swallowed and said, okay, let's do it. So he had a procedure to remove one of his ribs 
and gave it into the box. And then after Jonathan recovered from that procedure, Ben walked in as if nothing happened, as if he never died. He was just like, oh, so there's a shoot today, you know? And everyone was stunned. And it was just like, but, but he, he died, right? Yeah, he was dead. I saw his body. But how could he? But Jonathan knew. He knew that giving his rib to Nick Cage, for some reason, brought Ben back to life. And they had a photo shoot scheduled together for a magazine. And then Jonathan looked at Ben and said, You ready? And then Ben said, Yeah, let's do it. So they both, both posed for the photo shoot. And just like as their agency prescribed, they were heavy and thick. Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night to you. 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 Good night to you, but not to me. No, good night to you. Yeah, and good night to me. And good night to you.